I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... We have so far employed over 12,000 software engineers. Holy moly. And we are the number one employer of entry-level talent in the country. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Today, we're joined by Ashwin Barrett. Ashwin is the CEO and co-founder of Reviture, technology company here in the DMV. They train people to be programmers and pay them for three to four months then they get them jobs at other companies, be those technology companies, consulting companies, or just regular companies that need technology. Oh, and last time I looked, the world needs a lot of technology, or it's running a lot of technology that needs to get better, or there are new technologies coming that we need to get good at, like ChatGPT. So Reviture started in 2004 with a couple of folks, is now 2,000 employees generating 12,000 different job placements since they've started. It's an amazing story, and it's one that I think you'll find really encouraging about the future of younger, more aware citizens getting meaningful jobs in technology. Here's our conversation. Ashwin Bharat. I found out that that means India. Or was that, that was the original name of the nation of India. Absolutely. There was a king by the name Bharat. He ruled India, and India was called as Bharat. Then, because of the Indus River, it was called as India. But wow. that's my name. There you go. So you have a deep, deep connection to your to the, to the nation of your family. Let's start with the beginning. You founded Reviture with your co-founder. How long ago? So we started in two thousand four. Yeah, as a like a consulting IT consulting fa- uh, firm in the D- DMV area. And if you think about it, like we were doing IT consulting, and how I started my career was, Mark, like I had no prior programming background, zero programming knowledge. But the company that hired me, hired me based on my aptitude. And they trained me for like four months and I became one of the top programmers of the firm. And I think that I was seeing it lacking, such opportunity was lacking here. So around 2008, 2010, Mark, we decided, why don't we hire people based on aptitude and attitude? rather than what they can do me on day one, but let's hire them what they could become after three months of training. Got it. So my experience became the founding thesis of Ravature. So there's a new word, I shouldn't say new, but you keep hearing it, upskilling, right? So folks within an organization having their skills improved, it sounds like you believe in that theory. Oh, it has to be. I think it. what used to be upskilling used to be a luxury. It's an absolute necessity. Wow. If firms don't take it seriously, I think they are going to be far behind. Yeah. Uh, see that, especially in technology, the jobs used to be very much homogenous. You just have to know one specific skills and you can do that. Now the jobs have got extremely heterogeneous. Yeah. So it's got complicated and it's changing. You need continuous learners. I call them as continuous learning animals. Yep. Upskilling is the only way that you can reach it. So if firms don't have it, we have to get in, especially in DMV, because of the nature of government contracts, we are lagging behind in upskilling. But so you founded it, it a, a, a Reviture in 2004, you said? 2004. Yeah. Was it always that? You, you said it, it founded as, as X, but it, it migrated to a different model in 2008? Is that what happened? The answer is yes. We started as an IT consulting firm. Yeah. We well, let me, let me, so what would be a typical client back, back in those days? 
back then you talk about Freddie Mac, we talk about Fannie Mae, government agencies, federal integrators like Accenture Federal, Deloitte Federal. That's our standard client. And they bring you in for project-based stuff with a team you'd, you'd gathered? How, how would it work? So it's a deployment of team. It's like they start a new project. They're like, hey, we are starting this new project. Can we give this part-based team, this yeah. SOW-based work? I think that is how we started the company. Wow. So in 08, or I'm not, I'm probably putting words in your mouth, forgive me, but in 08, sort of some light bulbs went off saying, wait a minute, Um, if we don't develop more talent while they're at their desk, we're going to be locked into a place that's not very, not, not very productive going forward. And that light bulb went off. Was it something that all of your colleagues found at the same time, or did you have to sort of proselytize and get on, you know, sermonize to, to push this ahead? I think uh, necessity is the mother need of all invention. There you go. Mark. And what happened was with the financial meltdown. What? Um, what happened? I, I didn't hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, well, I'm teaching you two things. I taught you about Bharat, now financial now meltdown. Now I'm learning. It's good. Upskilling. <laughs> Upskilling, right? So what happened was we realized um, the federal space, but people were losing jobs in general, yeah. good programmers, but they got pigeonholed uh, in like their legacy skills, they did not have the advanced skills. Fantastic programmers, great experience, but not able to get jobs because they did not have the later skills. So as a pilot project, me and my founder, Srikant, we decided to hire four people and we upskilled them. These guys have really good programmers, but they did not have the later skills. We upskilled them and interestingly, magically, all of them got jobs in no time. Yeah, That pilot, we scaled it and now we are specializing extremely into career beginners, and we are the leader when it comes to creating new programmers in the country. Wow. So what is the experience of somebody who goes through your this interaction? If, if I join Reverture tomorrow, first of all, how, would you hire me? Not me. Obviously, I'm, I'm way past the upskilling potential. If you hired a, a smart, uh, younger person out of maybe a local school, what would their experience be with you? And then how do you sort of send them off to another arena? How, how, how do you place them? So I'll make you one correction, Mark. Okay. We can upskill you. Let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so we have like a a wide spectrum of talent demographics that we do. it. And by the way, Mark, I feel like lucky and blessed to run this company because not all the time you get to run a company, which is a good business model and also it's doing a really good social purpose. Yes. Uh, we have so far employed over 12,000 software engineers. Holy moly. And we are the number one employer of entry-level talent in the country. And this all happened for people who were rejected for programming jobs or who never thought they can get programming jobs. We have a public school bus drivers becoming this. We have uh, retail workers. We have like uh, people like English teachers, math teachers, like bar workers, we have every spectrum of people. The reason is this country has an opportunity gap. Yeah, there are the, Mostly the opportunities are concentrated in the coast, but talent is distributed throughout the country. Well said. What we did was we democratized, we took opportunity towards talent rather than expecting talent towards it. Yeah. So what did we do? Number one, we don't expect you to be productive right from day one. So we gave them an opportunity to become a programmer after three months of training. And that's the simple reason these 12,000 engineers got jobs and very successful now. You know, there, there's so much, some negative press on these coding camps and stuff that you can sign up for and some of these sort of web-based and even YouTube-based video where, oh, I can be a coder in like a, you know two or three weeks. And I think that really diminishes the commitment it takes to become good at it. What about your program? First of all, why three months or four months? 
How did you figure out the time it took, and what, what, how has the rigor been to get it down to where you produce a good coder? It's a very good question. So our, our model, I'm a firm believer that any upskilling program should be employer-paid and employer-pays. Okay. So what it means is you have to earn and learn. So right from day one, our people, they are like our W-2 employees with benefits, right? And they don't have to pay us, we pay them. I think that's our model, right? Wow. Because it's a full-time commitment. Yeah. And I can't expect somebody to come pay me money, do a part-time job, and come do the training. I'm not. They're not going to be successful on either. So well, there's one like, big difference there. Absolutely. Yep. So I'm a firm believer of that, and that's why we propagate that. See, I believe in creating practitioners, Mark. Yeah. I don't believe in creating um, theoretical folks. I don't believe in becoming a certificate factory. So most of the upskilling, what we have is like a certificate factory. You come do this program, go uh, get the certification, whether it is Amazon certification, Microsoft certification. What do people do? Their goal is to get the certification. Right. And some prepare for the certification. Some might even cheat to get the certification, right? For us, it's an outcome-based program. The outcome here is job. Yeah. How do you get the job? By bringing a practitioner. So it is absolutely, we make them do projects which is in line with what the client wants. And that is the reason we are able to not only create them, but of really good quality. So we believe in creating practitioners and we simulate the actual client projects and they work in that and they learn it. So they're job ready when they, when they, so this idea of certification, I'm very involved in higher education at the collegiate level for a whole bunch of reasons I won't bore you with, but certificates are like, it's a dirty word to the traditional four-year college. You must see that, that changing. It is changing, right? I think we are in a very interesting situation where um, the higher education, so by the way, I'm a believer of higher education and I'm still a believer of higher education, right? Now, degree is becoming a bad word in the industry, right? I think there is going to be some kind of moderation. Certification is a necessary evil in my opinion because it brings in a good value at the same time, it also like taking a shortcut for the code that you're looking for, mm-hmm. right? So with having the right approach with the measurable outcome, certification should not be the outcome. What is the outcome? Are you going to get a job? Are you going to be able to upskill and do into a new technology by defining that outcome, coupling that with certificate? That's a new way. I don't think so. There is no other way for higher education except to get into the certification. Well, there's another I guess you're really saying the same thing. My a buddy, a classmate of mine in college is now the CTO of IBM, and he used to say that they hired T-shaped people, i.e. they're broad, but they have some deep domain expertise to go along with a broad perspective, which is you know sort of critical thinking skills and all that stuff. And it sounds like you're potentially subscribing to that, which is you don't want people so focused on one thing that they can't see the larger picture because you want them to see the larger picture if they're going to be management. Is that what you're seeing? Absolutely. So T-shaped people is, especially with the job getting extremely heterogeneous, the T-shaped people is the way anybody should look for, like not just your ability to go deep, but also your ability to go wide. Yeah. Um, to me, having my space is technology. So I'm going to pick that as an example. A great technical programmer, having the technology knowledge is just job 50% done. You should also have the ability to talk technology, mm-hmm. not just do technology. You should have the ability to conflict resolution, collaborate with team. So that is a very important factor is like, how do you work in a collaborative en- environment? T-shaped person is the perfect example for yeah. it. We're talking with Ashwin Barrett. B- Barrett. He's the CEO and co-founder of Reviture, a technology platform right here in Washington, D.C. When we come back here on What's Working in Washington, we're going to talk about ChatGPT more after this. 
listen, we want to put out a huge thank you to our listeners who put us in touch with some of the best voices in Washington, D.C. and the region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how businesses in the region are keeping us competitive. We talk to the brains in the nonprofit world, restaurant domain, and next-gen tech. We love meeting smart people. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. Tracy Madigan, our producer, and I think that it's all about shining a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in the region. So please keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. Once again, we're with Ashwin Barrett. Ashwin is the CEO and co-founder of Reviture, a technology company right here in the DMV, a very successful technology company with an incredible philosophy about discovering, training, and distributing quality technology talents. Let's talk about that, about collaboration as a feature of what you do with folks that are with you, how you send them out. I think collaboration gets less stress than it should, personally because people think they can work in a silo and they'll get something done and they'll be rewarded. I think in some ways COVID kind of almost hurt collaboration because we were in our you know crazy apartments and stuff. How, how important is collaboration to your training? What do you see as trends for that? And even hiring trends. So go to a bigger, bigger topic. So um, we can start with hiring trend. Then okay. I'll come to the collaboration, right? See, hiring trend, if I have to describe in one word, it's uh, schizophrenic, multiple personality. Good one. Yeah. So we are seeing pockets of areas where hiring is great, pockets of areas where hiring is bad. In technology, uh, we are calling it as technology winter. But the term I would like to use is I'm a huge Star Wars fan, which is 2001 Strikes Back. Ah, <laughs> okay. Uh, and the reason 2001 is a dot-com bubble. Yeah. What happened? Like Because of the internet, like a lot of firms, dot-internet companies started. They started hiring like crazy mistakes in hiring, wage inflation, when the bubble burst, everybody went to a standstill. I'm seeing the exact same trend now because of the post-COVID, we've had a forced digital modernization. Hiring went up, attrition went up, wage inflation went up, a lot of mistakes happened, and we are seeing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. But what lesson did we learn from the outcome of 2001 dot-com bubble? There are two things that happened. One is, Hiring went to a standstill. That's happening. But interestingly, outsourcing became very prominent after dot-com mm -hmm. bubble. I'm seeing the same trends happening now. I'm yeah. seeing outsourcing is getting bigger, especially for the last few years. Insourcing was getting prominent. Now the trend is changing. So I think because of the nature of the job, which is going to be very chaotic, um, to me, how this will turn out, people think the future is daunting. I don't think so. I'm optimistic on it, but still the future is un uncertain. But we cannot take the outsourcing one lightly. The reason I'm mentioning that is like with all the remote works and now employees, they want to save cash. It's easy for them to ship jobs. I have my employee working remotely. Why don't I ship it to a different part? Yeah. I think I'm seeing that trend mm -hmm. and I want all of us to be aware of that. So the the um, the knock on outsourcing back in the day, and I was CEO of an internet company in 2001, so I may start crying when I, you make me think about that <laughs> year. 
uh, it was a t- it was a tough time uh, because we were all penalized. You know, they just said you're you're all full of crap, right? And all the companies were, were nailed. But outsourcing got got a bad rap because many said that the team you had, if they were 100 miles away or 15,000 miles away, couldn't feel the the pattern of the company, the growth of the company, the needs. There was a, a communication challenges between different time zones, et cetera. But I, I I guess my question is, I think COVID actually kind of broke down some of those barriers. We all got used to interacting with people at different times in different ways on different platforms and not the face-to-face that, you know, that insourcing was all about. Do you think COVID changed the perception of outsourcing? I think the fundamentals, in my opinion, has not changed. I'll give you an example, right? So back in the early 2000s, right, like the year that we talked about, technology projects were fundamentally used for operational projects to make the internal operations efficient for cost savings. But now technology projects are used for functional projects. It is used to generate new revenue. A programmer of the same caliber sitting in an outsourced country, no knowledge of the function here, how that application is or the technology is generating revenue. Without that, it is impossible to inbuilt the functional aspect of the application. Mm -hmm. You can do the technology aspect, but not the functional aspect. Mm -hmm. So because most of the technology investment today uh, is happening uh, in the functional part, it's tough for you to do it in an outsource. I'll give you an example. We talk about digital transformation. One of the areas I would say digital transformation has happened perfectly is your doorbells ring. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to have a physical one, electronic opening, wherever you are, you can do that it is impossible for somebody to visualize that sitting in a different country mm-hmm. because the culture of how the doors are attended and everything is different here. You have to be here. So outsourcing is great still for operations and efficiency, but not for functional projects. To that end, what are some of the, op- we talked about hiring trends and stuff like that. I was at a presentation at a conference yesterday about green jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously this administration has dedicated, although it looks like a may come under challenge, lots of capital, lots of your tax dollars and mine to green jobs and, and at the state level as well. Are there green jobs in technology? I, I think technology does not differentiate a green job personally. Uh, uh, I think these are it's like- It's color a, free in technology, yeah, right? Exactly. Okay. It is color free or exact use the right word. It is not there. And I think technology is green agnostic. Yeah. So hiring trends, talk about um, age, education, DEI, uh, geography, what are some things you're seeing? Are you seeing younger people without full college degrees getting certificates, being productive and making you know significant personal wealth and, and growth without the college degree? Or is it still kind of a, the, the, the employers still want that degree? I think uh, the interesting trend I would like to say in the last two years is there is a significant change of attitude I'm seeing in employers to hire people without degree. I think it's just the beginning of it. Still, we have a long way to go, but the good news is people are talking about it and taking first steps into it. So we have 27 million hidden workforce in the U.S. That's a massive number. Most wait, 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 wait. What does that mean, hidden workforce? Hidden workforce who are either unemployed, underemployed, or people who don't know or don't think they can do a particular job. Got it. I think that's the hidden workforce we talk about. I'll Interesting. give you a simple example, right? We are roughly, U.S. is conferring two million four years degree every year, right? Out of that, I'll bring in my area of tech, roughly 100,000 CS majors. But last year, there was a need for four times of that. 100,000 computer science majors, the need was four times that. Four times of that. Okay. Not all computer science majors got jobs in programming. Wow. And uh, how do we do that? But we are conferring two million people and 1.6 million of those two million is non-STEM majors. Yeah. 
just because they took the major, it doesn't mean that they can do a, do the job, right? Yeah. They can do the job. In my personal experience, the second best, um, if you take computer science apart, the number one degree which is successful in programming is math. Can you make a guess what's the second most successful? I have no idea. Music majors. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? Well, music and math have a lot in exactly, common. Exactly, but know. who yeah. would think that? Yeah. There are a lot of hidden talent. The, the, I, the goal is you can't create talent. You have a huge alternate supply ch chain of talent. Identify the talent and enable them. I think that is absolutely key. It is irrespective of age, gender, diversity, skin color, and anything we can do it. So we need to go for a mass talent mobility irrespective of any of these things. I think that is my solution for this. So music, that's funny you say that because the programmers that I've worked with or hired in, in my life, that you know, the, the ones that really took it seriously thought of it as almost like an art. They, they liked that tight code. They were, they were proud of their creation almost as much as an artist or a musician would be at the end of the day. I always admired that, that, that pride. Yeah. Absolutely. And it is, as you rightly said before, it's math, right? If you yeah. think about it, we don't have a part in our brain to listen to music. We use the pattern matching recognition part of our brain to listen to music. Got it. What is software programming? It's a pattern. Yeah. So that's the perfect thing to create music and software. That's yeah. why they are successful. Unless you're Kanye West, in which there's no pattern recognition. <laughs> but let me, so, so we're here with Ashwin Barrett. Ashwin is the CEO and co-founder of Reviture. So we have a few minutes left and I, I probably should have saved more for it. ChatGPT, OpenAI, what's your call and how that's going to affect things? Large language modeling and generative AI, commonly we know it as ChatGPT and uh, OpenAI. It is so let me, to... let me break in. We have to tell our listeners, say LLM, yeah. large language modeling. That's how you sound like you're really hip on this stuff. Okay, <laughs> LLM, go ahead. LLM and generative AI, I think they are going to have a significant impact. We all knew that software is going to eat the world. We yeah. all knew that, but it hasn't done yet. There is still parts of the world it hasn't consumed. The reason is getting technology is a very expensive effort because the cost of talent is expensive. ChatGPT, OpenAI kind of technology is going to make it very easy. And there is not a single area where software will not, will, will, will not cannot reach. It can reach anywhere. Mm -hmm. Whether you are a small mom and pop shop who can afford a very little on software or somebody who's very expensive. So... The software is going to, it is currently available for the privileged and the elites. It's going to be ubiquitous. It's going mm -hmm. to be available for everybody. So not a single area will be untouched. So it is very key we need to find for it. I'm an optimist when it comes to it. Good. Because I personally believe the number of doors um, LLMs will close will be less than the number of doors it will be opening it. So I'm an absolute optimist for I it. I hope you're right. Um, you know a lot of people agree with you and a lot of people do not. There's just, people are just flipping out about this. And I, I remind them, it used to take $3 million to build a website in 1992. And a lot of companies started building websites for lots of money because it was hard and expensive. And then tools, you know, tools yeah, exactly. eventually showed up where we're now we have, you know, a hick, whatever, you could do it for seven bucks, right? And hosting is virtually free. And I'm like, so... Were you worried that, that when internet websites became cheap, that would change the world? No, of course you wanted it to be that way. I hope you were correct in, in saying it will be a, a net positive. Net positive. And the way analogy I do it is when uh, autopilot was getting very powerful, people are saying that pilots' jobs are going to get absolute. What happened? No. The number of pilots increased, Yeah, but it benefited. The training got simpler. The safety got increased. Yep. So I see... Generative AI, LLMs, to get into that mode, it is going to make things much easier for software. It's going to be ubiquitous. 
I like your attitude. It's Ashwin Barrett. Ashwin is the CEO and co-founder of Reviture. We ask every guest here on What's Working in Washington at the end of the show, if they ruled the world, what's one thing they would do, make start happening, start making happen, or one thing they would stop happening, or both? I would like to uh, captain USS Enterprise. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's available. So I think, see, the thing is, what I have found, this is a fantastic country. It gave me everything, right? And for many, many people like us. Um, but that is a belief gap existing in this country, right? Like people think, I can't do this, I can't do that. I think we need to solve this belief gap. For example, I talked about this 27 million hidden workforce. Yes, most of them don't think they can't get tech jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, companies like Haas has proved that, yes, we can avail that for you, right? Employees don't think they can do the job. So how do you make it easier for people to solve the belief gap, to me, is key. I think the government, like what they're doing with the current White House Apprenticeship Program, which is a fantastic one. 10,000 is a very ambitious target. I would love that. But I think it should be for people who are struggling, who normally cannot get their jobs, is where the, we should go on. Wow. So I think we as a country should solve the belief gap and take it from there. That's that my is take. a wonderful goal. And that's a fantastic prediction of what you would do if you ruled the world. It's Ashwin Barrett, CEO and co-founder of Reviture. Thank you for being with us today. Thank, thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening. You know, I often find myself wondering, what's great about Washington, D.C.? And then I'm reminded about our business, our government, our arts, our not-for-profits, our education arenas. All are fantastic and special, not only to our nation, but really to the world. I'm glad I live here. I hope you are, too. And I hope that our show continues to give you some enlightenment, some information, some actionable intelligence, and hopefully some enthusiasm about what works in Washington, D.C., so once again, thanks for listening. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by The Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.